0: Why in the world would you want to be a Christian these days? That's a hard one. Why are we Christians? Why are we doing this? Well, I can tell you why I'm doing it. It's because of the paycheck. Um, <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> it's so snarky right now. I'll shape up in a second. Hang on. Um, why, why be a Christian? salvation. Who said that? Of course. Okay. That's the right answer. That's a great answer. So, I am a believer. I am a Christian. And there's going to be two points to this. One very good reason the why because we're asking the why. Why be a Christian? One very, very good why is heaven. Like, I want to go to heaven, and I want to be with Jesus. I am after eternal life. I know, I know, I know, I know there is more to my existence than the 70 years, if I'm lucky, on this planet. There's something else going on, and I want it. I want heaven. I want eternal life. So that's a very good reason why whoever believed in him should not perish but have what everlasting life it's a really good why got another one another good why another good point is that I don't want to go to hell you can't really have heaven without a hell I know no one likes to talk about that rarely preached about these days but yeah, I don't want to go to hell. Now, don't, we don't exactly know what hell is. You know, Is it a fire? You know, the Bible describes it as a, as a pit of fire, and, or sometimes it's referred to as a very cold place or dream state. Like we, we don't really know, but I don't want to find out when I get there. I think, well, <laughs> this is just my imagination, but I think it might be your own personal hell. So... I would be stuck in an eternity in a creepy Walmart ran by circus clowns and vampires. That would be my personal hell. I don't want to go there. Don't want to do that. So I want to make sure that my soul in, in this place, and you know, in this time, I'm making all the right decisions. I'm getting myself right with the Lord. I'm working out my salvation. Still do it. I know I'm pastoring you, but I'm still working out my salvation. I need to be mindful of that. I want to go to heaven, and I, I don't want to go to hell. Now, these are very uh, basic, primal, preservation motivations, right? Preservation motivation. Don't want to go to hell. want to go to heaven. Great. I mean, that's that's a really... Really good reason why. Would you agree? Second question. The first question is, why are we Christians? Second question. Why do we choose to become disciples? Now you might think that that sounds exactly like the same question that I just asked but there is a huge nuance there. It is a very different question because there is a difference from being a believer. I believe in God. I believe that I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. There is a difference between that and saying and declaring and working on, I am a disciple of Christ. There's a difference. So why would you want to not just be a believer, But why would you want to work towards and become a disciple of Christ? Again, there's a difference. So what's the difference? Well, the answer of the Lord. The the difference is in the book of James that we're getting into. He, He states it clearly. He says, you guys need to quit being only hearers of the word. You need to become what? Doers of the word. That is what a disciple is. Why become a disciple? Here's some reasons that I have on becoming a disciple. Number one, well, it's because after I have glimpsed eternity, after I've seen that there is more beyond this life, that I'm going to heaven. I can stand before you this morning and say that I am confident in my salvation. Years ago, I've told this story before, but some of you haven't heard it. Years ago, I was doing some business in Eastern Europe, out in the middle of nowhere, and um, no one knew where I was. Foreign language was being spoken, and I was... Buying some antiques in a creepy basement. (laughs) And this guy starts unlocking doors and it's full of Nazi stuff, Nazi memorabilia, busts and swastikas and helmets. And he opens up a drawer and he pulls out a pistol and he points it at my face. And he and I like, this is it. This is great. This is how I'm going out. I'm gonna be shot in the face in Eastern Europe and no one's gonna know where I'm gonna be. And the adrenaline hits, that, that fight or flight. I'm like, I'm going to die. And in that moment, when the adrenaline kicked in, the peace of God was right there to follow. And I knew that I was going to be okay if this guy pulled the trigger. Like, okay, Lord, I guess I'm ready to go. Now, That's, that's something very valuable and very special, in my opinion. Well, he wasn't going to shoot me, obviously. He was trying to sell me his, his Nazi Luger that was his prized possession. He was just really weird and quirky. Anyway, so I know I'm going to heaven. I also know I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to go. Neither do you. But because of the work that Jesus does on the cross, we get to go. We we get to go. This is the good news. This is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The gospel of grace. We don't earn this, it's freely given to us to receive. Jesus, He lives the life that we all should live. He he models it. He's he's selfless, He walks humbly, He's a servant. He does all the things that humanity should be doing, and we're not. He lives the life that humanity should live. And the great irony, he dies the death that humanity deserves to die, a judgment on a cross. I don't get it. I don't understand grace. It's not fair. I want people to get what they deserve. I don't get it but I am captivated by it. So why do I want to become a disciple of Christ? Because I'm fascinated and captivated by the grace of God, by what he has done for me. I can't take it for granted when I look at the cross. I can't take his sacrifice and just be like, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Yay, I get to go to heaven. I can't just live there. I don't know I need to be a disciple. And I'm just like, the gospel is so good And pure, it saved me. That's why I want to be a disciple. Number two, it's because the kingdom of heaven, Jesus tells us, is here and now. Not only do we get to go to heaven, we get to experience heaven, this side of death. I like that a lot meaning that there are moments in our walk, there's moments in a disciple's life where you have a religious moment, an experience, if you will, where, as if it was the baptism, heaven literally opens up and comes and begins to transform our fleshly lives. Heaven on earth, as Jesus would call it. I become a disciple because Not only am I fascinated by the gospel of grace, no, I want to play too. I want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Inside of the kingdom of heaven, everyone gets to play. You get to play. You get to do the stuff that Jesus does. In Matthew 28, 19, this is a foundational verse for... The Christian faith, it's in, our, it's in our 101 class, our foundations class. This is what Jesus is telling us to do. When you want to know what, wanted, what we're supposed to do, Jesus tells us. It's in the Great Commission. You know it. Therefore, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. There's that D word again, disciples. He doesn't say go and make believers, go and make converts. He says go and make disciples, people that are actually going to be doers of the word. Of all nations, you baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And so, in order to be a disciple, we have to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us to do. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Okay. Think about your Sunday school lessons. What did Jesus command these 12 guys to do? What did he command them to do? Quite a bit, but here's, a, here's three. He commanded them, remember this one? He commanded them to miraculously reproduce bread and fish so that he could feed 5,000 people. That's what he commanded him to do, to take control of nature and, and feed the poor. That, that's, a big, that's a big order, right? Right? He commanded them to lay hands on the sick and heal the sick, not just, you know, pray God's will over them, to heal the sick and to raise the dead. This is what Jesus commanded his 12 to do. In addition to that, he commanded them to go out into the world and to cast out evil spirits from people that were being tormented. This is what Jesus has commanded. These are three things. There's a number of other things. The point is, in the kingdom of heaven, we get to do the things that Jesus did. Today, that's what disciples do. They do the things that Jesus does. and They do it today. So why am I disciples? Because I get to do these things. You get to do these things. Everybody has access to heaven. It should drive you. It drives me. The gospel, what Jesus did for me, it drives me to be a better disciple. But seeing somebody's body healed, or delivered from oppression, to see a sign or a wonder that. It makes you wonder. It's like, what, like, what's going on? A, a moment, an experience that shatters doubt, an angelic visitation. I don't know this is why I'm a disciple, everybody. That's why I do it. I'm excited about it. Third reason why I'm a disciple. is because we are. We, the world, is most likely in the end of days. Writing's on the wall, everybody. This could be it. If you're watching the news, we could be in the end times. For point of reference, in 500 AD, they thought they were in the end times too. It was really bad. People were starving all over the place. The planet was freezing. There was a pandemic. There was a plague. There were wars. There were rumors of wars. Like, 500 AD was probably one of the worst times in human history. It was pretty bad. They thought Jesus was coming back. Uh, It seems like it's pretty bad right now. But what we do know, like, I can't tell you exactly when Jesus is coming back, but I can tell you this it's closer than it was before. (laughs) We're a lot closer today than we were yesterday. I'm a disciple because however you want to look at it, however you want to splice it, we're in the end times. We need to be aware of the sign of the times. We need to know that whether Jesus comes back now, whether we are in the millennial reign, or we're going to go into a millennial reign, or the millennial reign took place in the past, or it's post-tribulation, mid-tribulation, uh, pre-tribulation rapture, historicism—all there's probably there's three at least three major categories on uh, eschatology or interpretation of the end times that you could you know camp out in and be secure in. There's a lot of different ways that you can look at it. It can be a little overwhelming and complicated, but I want to encourage you to be a disciple and study Revelation. But we do know from the book of Revelation, you read it and from the very beginning. It says, you read this book, you will be blessed. It's the only book that says that. Why? It's because God wants to prepare us. He wants to prepare his people for what is to come. Again, it could quite possibly be in our lifetime. If it's not... Regardless, the Scriptures tell us we need to live like it is, that we need to prepare for those times. Jesus says in Luke 12, 54, this is not going to be on the screen because this is the Passion paraphrase. I like the way that it sounds. A little bit different. Jesus said to the crowds gathered around him, When you see a cloud forming in the West, don't say, a storm is a brewing. And then it arrives. And when you feel the south wind blowing, the Santa Anas are coming. Heat wave is on the way. And so it happens. What hypocrites. You are, okay, listen, you are such experts at forecasting the weather, but you are totally unwilling to understand. The spiritual significance of the time you are living in right now. Now, Let's just say it's going to take Jesus another 2,000 years to get here. It does not let us off the hook for understanding the spiritual significance of our time now. We need to understand what's taking place in the spirit now. Jesus again says in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, be prepared for action. Who is he talking to? Well, he's got an audience 2,000 years ago, but today he's talking to you. This was written to you. Be prepared for action at a moment's notice. Be like the servant anticipating their master's return from a wedding celebration. They are ready at a moment's notice to unlock the door and to let him in. What great joy is ahead of them for for those who stay awake and wait for their master's return. He himself will become like a servant and wait upon them. He will appear at midnight or even later. But what great joy for the awakened ones when he comes. Of course, if they would have known ahead of time, the hour of their masters appearing, they would be alert, just as they would be ready if they knew ahead of time that a thief was coming to break into their house. So, keep being alert and ready at all times. Amen? We need to be ready at all times. For I promise you that the Son of Man will surprise you. Oh! a lot of promises in the book, a lot of promises in the Bible. I don't know if I like that one. He promises that we're going to be surprised. Okay, I kind of like a good surprise, but I don't want to be so surprised that I was unaware. Like, I want to be ready. I want to make, make sure that I am discipling well. I want to make sure that when Jesus returns, I'm not messing off somewhere, and I'm not in a pity party, or I'm not doing the stuff, I'm not engaged, I'm not not paying attention to the sign of the times. He's going to surprise you when you don't expect him. So these are all some really good reasons as to why to become a disciple of Christ. There's a lot of other good reasons. Like, I don't know, um, Maybe you want Jesus to make you rich. That might be a good reason to be a disciple. Or maybe you want Jesus to make you a celebrity star or someone important like an actor. Um, Jokes, by the way. Maybe I need to. Sorry. There's a lot of good reasons why to be a disciple. Selfish reasons aren't a good one. why I think we get the reason why why to be a believer and why to become a disciple But how do we do it how do we become disciples of Christ James the first leader of the church Jesus' brother will tell us how to do it he's amazing Again, the point of his book is, you guys need to become not only hearers of this word, but you need to become doers of this word. A lot of packed in, there's a lot of things that are packed into James, but I've got a few that we're going to look at, three of them. A disciple, James tells us, will be responsible for their own spiritual development. There's A lot of confusion on what discipleship is. A true disciple of Christ takes personal responsibility for their spiritual growth and maturity. You can't use your pastor, your teacher, your home group leader as your scapegoat. You are responsible for your own spiritual growth. James 4.8 says, draw near to god and he will draw near to you you have to make the effort you've got to put the the foot forward you've got to say i am going to do this because of what jesus did on the cross for me i'm going to do this because i'm fascinated with what's taking place in the kingdom i'm going to do this because it looks like time is short You are responsible for this development. If you fail in your spiritual growth and maturity, you have no one to blame but yourself. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Number two, James tells us that a disciple... Works on their exterior life. This is the bit that I love in this series. Wash your hands, you sinners. Yeah, I love that. I love the way it sounds. Sounds funny to me. I like it. But there's so much truth and insight into this truth. Into what does it mean that we must wash our hands? This is a little bit of a review of last week's sermon. But the washing of the hands is making sure that your own personal relationships on the exterior, on the outside, are managed well and are healthy. Meaning that when you wash your hands in your everyday life, again, it's external. Your skin is on on the outside. You're making sure that the stuff that is sticking to you isn't making you stinky. You're getting it off. You're washing it off. You're managing your exterior life. How you walk. How you talk. The things that come out of your mouth. The way that you treat people. What you watch. What you feed yourself with. You're making sure that you're, okay, I probably shouldn't do this. I probably shouldn't say this. I probably shouldn't act this way. It is being mindful of your external persona. In a nutshell, it's just being a good person. Amen? Can we all be good people? Is it an oxymoron for a Christian to be a good person these days? Number three, a disciple, James tells us, not only manages their exterior life, but also manages their interior life meaning that not only are they getting their act together on the outside with some good habits and healthy living and good attitudes, but they're doing some deeper work inside of their hearts. Purify your heart, you double-minded. The double-minded is not like, well, I'm thinking one way and then the other way. The double-minded, maybe your translation even says this, is people that doubt. I tell you up front, part of this Christian walk, part of being a disciple, is managing doubt. It comes, and, it, and it, it get the best of us. Even your own pastor Josh can fall into the temptations of doubting. You will doubt, you will falter. If you do not allow the Holy Spirit. To come into your heart and to purify you from the inside out, it, it this purification of being baptized in the Spirit inside out. It's not a one-time deal; it has to happen over and over again. I'm looking forward for the next time I'm baptized in the Spirit. Counting the days, I anticipate it. Want to see it happen. I know that there, I got to be. I got to be flushed out again. There's a, there's might be some. Spiritual baggage in there that needs to be taken care of. God's so good; He always does. But the kicker is, is I got to let him in. I have to humbly put myself in a vulnerable situation where God can transform me from the inside out. Sometimes it hurts like Hades. I didn't say a bad word there. You proud of me? Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes when God cleans you out from the inside, sometimes it does not feel too good. But James says that that's what good disciples do. Now, in addition to managing your outside and your inside, James makes a very important distinction on these two things, on washing your hands and purifying your hearts. As a disciple, you can't do one without the other. You can't. You can't just wash your hands and be good with it. That's what most people do these days, by the way. Most people have very clean hands. They're nice people. They're your neighbors that don't go to church. They're your uh, people out with the workplace that are good. He's a good guy. He's such a good guy. You know, he's nice. He's a nice guy. I like him. He's my buddy. He's not a jerk. But his heart can still be far from the Lord. So here's the tricky part. You can be a good person and not know God. Or you you can at least project yourself as being a good person and not know God. But James pushes on this discipleship button pretty hard because he's going to tell us, yeah, you can be good without God, but you can't be in God without being a good person. So if you are a Christian, you are required to be a good person. James 2.26 says this, For just as a human body, without the Spirit is a dead corpse. So, Faith, without the expression of good works, is what? Is dead. Not mostly dead, but dead dead. (laughs) Faith, without works, is dead. Number four. Did I say I had three points? I've got four, sorry. Number four. A disciple of Christ does not waste time by constantly being offended by something or someone. A disciple of Christ is marked by love. and 1 Corinthians 13 says that love holds no record of wrongs. We move on. We forgive. We try to forget. The scar might be there, but we don't ruminate that past pain over and over and over again. Some of us like to have the same conversation, the same argument over and over again. We bring it back up, makes us feel good, get a pound of flesh. It's bondage, everybody. We need to quit having the same arguments over and over and over again. A disciple does not waste time on being offended. Now, the title of this message is a little unfortunate. It's probably one of the worst titles I've ever written because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but this is what's going on, what's going on in my mind. The title of this sermon is, We Don't Discuss Our Problems, We Demolish Them. Not my best title. So let me explain what I mean by that. We don't stay in a constant state of obsession about arguing. Arguing is becoming a pastime. It's like the new American pastime to argue about something. Even in our Christian life, if we allow the culture to seep in, if we allow the rhetoric, the chatter, the language to come into our own spiritual life, if we're not mindful, if we're not washing our hands and purifying our hearts, that argumentative spirit can even be directed towards God. Have you ever argued at God? Now, I will say, there is room for it. You work your stuff out honestly with God. Like, you can go into, you can go into God's presence, and you can go, God, I'm upset about this. Like, I'm actually, actually pretty healthy. But once that, once that attitude and the issue turns towards, I'm upset about this, and God, this is your fault. I was faithful, and you did this to me. Like, once you start having those types of conversations with God, and you can't break out of that cycle, there's some deep healing that needs to take place. So what does it mean that we demolish them? We demolish them. Well, James three sixteen says it this way: confess. Okay, lifestyle practice of confession. You need to confess what's going on inside of your heart and inside of your mind. Confess and acknowledge how you have been offended, and how you have offended one another. All right. So, if Jesus tells us to do this, if you've If you've trespassed, you know, forgive us of our trespasses if we forgive those that trespass against us. So if you have offended someone, own it and say, I'm sorry for offending you. If somebody has offended you, I would say these days it's better to come out and say it, to confess it. Sometimes there might be some raw feelings there. But probably right now, it's better than burying it. Like, I, I, like if, if I've ever said anything that has offended you, I've done a lot of preaching, I've offended a lot of people in my years. I'd rather know about it than have you sit in the pews for years. So just tell me. And then, you ready for this? Heal move on forget keep no record of wrong confess and acknowledge how you have been offended one another and then ready for this pray for one another to be instantly healed do you know what that says you get you get the offense out of the way and go for instant healing go for instant forgiveness Don't harbor it, don't lock it away in some soul safe where you're going to open it up and beat somebody up later about what they did to you or how they hurt your feelings. Pray that it is instantly healed and removed, for tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly disciple. Amen? Hey, you got problems with people? You're offended. You hit your knees and pray. You just like make it go away. Destroy it. Demolish it. I highlighted that there. You know, scholars like to point out there, that there's some tension between James and the Apostle Paul and their writings. One's the Gospel of Grace. One's the Gospel of Works. Whatever. This is Scripture. This is what J- this is what Paul has to say about the very same thing. Second Corinthians 10:5. We demolish arguments, and every pretension that sets itself up towards the knowledge of God. And you ready for this? We take captive every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. All right, so it will happen. You're going to be driving along, and the enemy of God is going to put this negative thought in your mind about somebody who offended you in the past, and you're going to have a choice whether you're going to feed that monster or whether you're going to hold that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ and send it back to hell where it belongs. Get these evil thoughts out of your head. Move on. That's what a disciple does. They move on. You guys okay? I started the sermon with a couple of questions, and I'm going to end with a couple of questions. Is it time for you to stop? Disgusting the same problem over and over again? Is it time for you to stop having the same arguments? Is it time for you to move on from a past offense? Is it time for you to be instantly healed through a tremendous, powerful prayer? Prayer prayer that is released in your inner man or your inner woman. A prayer so passionate that it actually moves the heart of God. Can you pray like that? Disciples do. Is it time to transition from being a mere believer into being a disciple of Christ. Is it time for that in your life? I would think so. Just stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these beautiful people that today got up, And decided to come near to God. And I pray right now that you will show them. That because of their action. To Sabbath on Sunday. That you are going to draw near to them. I pray that uh, the revelation of salvation. the, The truth of heaven. The truth of hell. Will come into their hearts. And they'll ask these questions of why and Why do I do what I do? Why do I believe what I believe? I pray that discipleship, the hunger for more, for more time with God, for more space to change the atmosphere and the environment, to set us up for intimacy with the Lord. I pray that this will be a, a shift, an instant shift from today says, no, I'm not going to do things the way that I've been doing them. I'm a disciple. Captivated by the cross. I'm intrigued by the kingdom. And I know that time is short. And I must be ready. I must be prepared. I must be able to open that door for Jesus and welcome him. Heavenly Father, right now as we prepare our hearts to start our week, I pray that you'll show us in our own ways where we need to be doing some hand washing, and I pray that you'll show us where the deep work needs to take place. We know that you're good, you're willing, and as you're able, bless us,